That was Roz, and that was Mandarin Chinese. And if you know Mandarin Chinese, you know what she said. And if you don't know Mandarin Chinese, I'm pretty sure she said, "This is 20 minutes you'll never get back." So thanks again, Roz. I appreciate being our announcer. The show's gone international. I love it. My name is Doug Prezak. Welcome to Twenty、uh, Minutes You'll Never Get Back.、Uh, I really do appreciate you tuning in. I know you have other options in podcasts, and you chose mine for some bizarre reason. But welcome to, to the show, and thanks again to Roz. Yeah, here's your state's、uh, update bulletin. I've given up. I don't even care anymore.、Uh, I I don't have Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Vermont, Rhode Island, or Delaware.、Um, I just don't care anymore. I only have this to say. I'm I'm not going to beg anymore. But hey, Vermont, Chile, South America stood up. What's your story? <laughs> If you're listening to Vermont, really. All right, I think it's time to start the show, and I I keep saying that, but then I get distracted. Some shiny object happened, but I want to go back and thank Roz for being an announcer. And if you would like to be an announcer, like Roz or Tony or Shauna, all you have to do is pay attention at the end of the podcast. Once I say bye bye and the music stops, it comes back on and says, "Hey, this is Doug again. You want to be an announcer? Here's what you do." So I'd love to hear from you. All right, now seriously, we're going to start the show today. All right, this is all about mail. Now, specifically, two types of mail, and if you follow the podcast on that Instagram thingy, you know what I'm going to be talking about. And if you're not following on the Instagram machine thingy, why aren't you? Seriously, I mean it's free. All right,、uh, we're going to start with the classically iconic image of the Western United States. That's the Pony Express. Now, the Pony Express was a mail service delivering messages, newspapers, and mail using relays of horse-mounted riders that operated from April third, eighteen sixty, to October twenty-sixth, eighteen sixty-one, and they rode between Missouri and California here in the United States. The idea of having a fast mail route to the Pacific Coast was prompted largely. By California's newfound prominence、uh, and growing population, now after gold was discovered here in 1848, thousands of prospectors and investors and businessmen they all made their way to California when it was just a new territory of the United States. Now by 1850, California entered into the Union, and by 1860, the population had grown to 380,000 people. In the mid 19th century, California-bound mail had to either be taken overland by a 25-day stagecoach, or spend months inside of a ship during a long sea voyage all the way around the tip of South America. Well, William H. Russell, William B. Waddell, and Alexander Majors, they created the Central Overland to California and Pikes Peak Express Company, also known as the Pony Express. The plan was to provide a mail delivery service across the continent. The Pony Express had an average delivery time of just ten days. Remember, that's compared to twenty-five days by stagecoach. Now, to achieve this speed, the Central Overland California and Pikes Peak Express Company they set up a string of nearly two hundred relief stations across what is now Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, and California. Lone horsemen would ride between the stations as fast as possible, switching horses every ten to fifteen miles, and then handing off their cargo to a new courier after about seventy-five to a hundred miles. The relay system allowed mail to crisscross the frontier in record time. 
The company's personal best time came in March of 1861 when riders carried the inaugural address of Abraham Lincoln from Nebraska to California in just seven days and 17 hours, which is just about how long it took Amazon Prime to deliver my package this week, but I digress. Now, not just anyone could be a Pony Express rider. There was a weight limit, (laughs) which is why I've never been a Pony Express rider. Since speed was the main goal, the Pony Express went to great lengths to keep its horse loads as light as possible. Most of the riders were small, wiry men who weighed between 100 and 125 pounds. Oh, bite me. Roughly the same size as the modern horse racing jockey. Their average age was around 20, but it wasn't unusual for teenagers as young as 14 to be hired. One man, uh, I'm going to use the term man loosely, named Bronco Charlie Miller, claimed he was only 11 years old when he first joined the Pony Express. Now, riders were required to take a loyalty oath. In exchange for their $100 to $150 monthly salaries, you know, which was a huge sum back then, Pony Express riders were expected to take a loyalty oath that read, <clears throat> are you ready for this? I do hereby swear before great and living God that during my engagement, And while an employee of Russell, Majors, and Waddell, I will under no circumstances use profane language, that I will drink no intoxicating liquors, that I will not quarrel or fight with any other employee of the firm, and that in every respect I will conduct myself honestly, be faithful to my duties, and so direct all my acts to win the confidence of my employers, so help me God. And scene. In my head, that's what a Pony Express writer sounds like. (laughs) Don't hate me. All right. If you broke the rules, you know, you just took that loyalty oath. And if you broke the rules, you were likely being dismissed without pay. But it appears that actually very few Pony Express employees followed the pledge uh, to the letter because according to writings and, and other stories from writers, the liquor flowed freely at relief stations and an eyewitness named Richard Burton not the same one you're thinking. He reported that, quote, scarcely he ever saw a sober rider. <laughs> now, here's something you see all the time. It's the, uh, the modern couture fashion statement of the mail pouch. You can thank the Pony Express for that. Mail was carried in a specially designed saddlebag. Now, to cut down on the weight and facilitate you know, so that swift horse and rider exchanges, the Pony Express made use of a special type of mailbag known as a mochilla, which is Spanish word for knapsack. This consisted of a leather cover that was draped over the saddle and held in place by the rider's weight. It featured four padlock pockets, three for mail and one for the rider's time card, and was capable of holding up to 20 pounds of cargo. At each relief station, riders would simply grab the mochia off one horse and throw it over the next one, allowing them to quickly switch horses in the span of about just two minutes. Apparently, that didn't include time to drink. Now, if you think 55 cents for a stamp is, or however much it costs these days, I don't want to cost in your country, is expensive, well, try the Pony Express because the speed of the Pony Express did not come cheap. In its early days, the service cost $5 for every half ounce of mail, and that's the equivalent of some $130 today. Prices were later reduced to just $1, but they still remained too high for the everyday mail. Instead, 
The service was used mainly to deliver newspaper reports, government dispatches, and business documents, most of which were printed on tissue-thin paper to keep costs and weight down. All right, you might think that the Pony Express riders had a dangerous and deadly job. Well, Pony Express riders had to deal with extreme weather conditions, some harsh terrain, and the threat of attacks by bandits, but the life was even more dangerous for the stock keepers who manned the relief stations. Their outposts were usually crude dirt floor hovels equipped with little more than you know sleeping quarters and some corrals for the horses. Many were located in remote sections of the frontier, making them extremely vulnerable to ambush. A lot of station keepers unfortunately met their fate, but only a handful of riders, six according to the National Park Service, died in the line of duty during the entire history of the Pony Express. Well, it's time for another controversy, and what would my podcast be without a controversy? A lot has been written about Buffalo Bill Cody about being a Pony Express rider. However, according to History.com, he probably wasn't. In his autobiography, the famed frontier showman William Buffalo Bill Cody he claimed that he served as a Pony Express rider at the age of 14. He even alleged that he once rode a record 384 miles in a single run. But while Cody uh, almost certainly worked as a messenger for the owners of the Pony Express, there is absolutely no record of him ever carrying mail, and evidence suggests he was probably in school in Kansas during the company's brief history. So whatever Cody's involvement with the Pony Express, there's no doubt he later kept his memory alive with his famous Wild West shows where he featured Pony Express riders doing their famous horse swapping. <laughs> Sadly, the Pony Express was a financial flop. Despite its enduring place in the Old West legend we all know, the Pony Express never turned a profit during its year-and-a-half history. The company began making deliveries in April of 1860, but service ground to a halt just a few weeks later when the Pyramid Lake War erupted between the United States and the Paiute Indians. The temporary shutdown cost the company some $75,000, and it continued to hemorrhage cash over the next few months due to high operation costs and its failure to secure a government mail contract. Even though it was hailed in the press for its efficiency and adventurous spirit, the Pony Express eventually folded in October of 1861, having lost as much as $200,000. And ultimately, in the end, the Transcontinental Telegraph dealt the Pony Express its death blow. The company had spent its brief history bridging the gap between the eastern and western telegraph lines, but it was finally rendered obsolete on October 24, 1861, when the Western Union completed its transcontinental telegraph line at Salt Lake City, the Pony Express ceased service just two days later. Despite operating for only 18 months, the Pony Express riders had successfully delivered some 35,000 pieces of mail and traveled more than half a million miles across the American frontier. I think it's time to jump off this horse and take a break, and when we come back, we're going to jump ahead 105 years to the current Electronic Pony Express. That's right, email. Don't go away. Get wild root cream off, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with pseudo-anolin. You better get wild root cream off. 
I don't know about you, but I think about Wild Root hair cream. Um, I personally prefer the version that has alcohol in it. <laughs> that non-alcoholic just leaves my hair all frizzy. frizzy. <laughs> Sorry. All right, let's get back to it. So first there was the Pony Express, and then the Telegraph did them in, and now we have email. Yes, something happened in between, but now we have email. Uh, There are currently over 2.6 billion active users and over 4.6 billion email accounts in operation today. Email is clearly the most important widely used communication medium on the Internet. You know, email has become part of everybody's daily lives, but email's roots can actually be traced back to the very infancy of the Internet and, frankly, beyond. In fact, email as a concept predates the Internet by a long shot. The first example of email can be found all the way back in 1965 on computers at MIT in a program called Mailbox. Users of MIT computers could leave messages with this program on a terminal at the university for others who would see the message the next time they logged into the same terminal. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, wouldn't a little post-it note do the same thing? Just think about it. Anyway, the system was quite effective, but only if the people wishing to communicate with each other were regularly using the same computer. Again, people, a post-it note or scotch tape and a piece of paper. Post-it note wasn't invented yet. In 1969, the U.S. Department of Defense began using a system called ARPANET, which stands for Advanced Research Projects Agency Network. That's just in case you wanted to know. ARPANET. This was a network connecting numerous computers across the department for purposes of communication within the organization. Then along came Ray Tomlinson. Back in 1971, Ray worked for the Department of Defense, and he invented and developed electronic mail as we know today by creating ARPANET's networked email system. Tomlinson's new message program enabled ARPANET users to send messages to different computers on the network. Tomlinson has since forgotten the contents of the first electronic message he ever sent. What? You didn't take a hint from Graham Bell and the whole Watson thing? Ugh. The concept of nearly instantaneous communication between machines within an organization proved to be so beneficial and practical, the concept soon began to spread. However, once computers began to talk to each other over networks, the problem became a little more complex. Bottom line was that we needed to be able to put a message in an envelope and address it. Now, that means uh, we needed some kind of process to indicate to whom our electronic letters should go so that the electronic posties would understand. The post office has a system, you know, you write a name and an address on an envelope and off it goes. So the email needs an address as well. So how do you tell an email where to go? Well, Ray Tomlinson had the answer. The at symbol. Now, this was probably Ray's most important contribution to the Internet. He picked the at symbol from the computer keyboard to denote sending messages from one computer to another. According to Tomlinson, the primary reason was that it made sense. The at sign didn't appear in any names, so there would be no ambiguity about where the separation between the login name and the host name occurred. Indicating where an email was supposed to go became as simple as addressing it, oh, let's say, Doug 
at 20minutespodcast.com. <laughs> Plug. Which is essentially how email has been addressed ever since. In one of the more dumber controversies I've learned in all this research I've done through all these episodes, this one's the dumbest. It seems there's a group, and who knows how many are in this group, who want to change the email addressing protocol. Their argument is that, quote, I'm not at Gmail, or I'm not at Hotmail. Well, of course you're not, you dumbass. But your email box is. Ugh. Oh, by the way, the world isn't flat, and we did go to the moon. By 1976, 75% of all ARPANET traffic was electronic mail. This method of communicating had proved to be so useful uh, that ideas were beginning to spring up about how one might be able to send an electronic mail message to a user on a computer outside of their internal network. This concept of communicating via email from organization to organization was actually the impetus for the advent of the Internet itself. As inter-organizational emailing became more prevalent, the world obviously needed some kind of software that could store and organize emails. Well, you guessed it, the precursors to the modern email box were quickly developed. By the 1980s, the Internet was still in its infancy. Internet service providers, or ISPs, had begun connecting people across the world and email hosting sites began to pop up. By 1993, the word electronic mail had been replaced by email. Now, over the next few years, America Online, Hotmail, and Yahoo, they all shaped the internet and email landscape. They pumped in marketing dollars to increase the accessibility and expose a much wider audience to the benefits of the World Wide Web. In the late 1990s, the internet exploded. Now, in 1997... There were 55 million users worldwide. Two years later, in 1999, that figure jumped to 400 million. As the market potential of the Internet kind of became widely apparent, email spam began to multiply exponentially, creating the need for email sorting software. By the turn of the millennium, having an email address had gone from being a luxury curiosity to being a societal expectation akin to having a phone number. Despite all the wonderful things that the World Wide Web offers, email remains the most important application of the internet and it is the most widely used. Now, more than 600 million people internationally use email, but only a couple of you use it to send me an email. I don't, I don't understand. Now, the last part of the show was to tell you how email works, but I just realized you don't care. I don't care. So let me just say this. It works just like mailing a letter to somebody. You, you, you write a letter and you put it into an electronic envelope and you address it with somebody's name at wherever their computer resides and off it goes. It goes through the magical internet uh, mailbox stuff and it ends up in their box with a little ding and they know they have an email from you. There, that took a lot less time. It was a lot less confusing and it left me time to say this. What have we learned? Well, you may have learned, and I know I certainly did learn, that the Pony Express was only around for 18 months. I thought it was like 100 years. We learned that uh, Buffalo Bill Cody may have, just may have, been a BS artist. I don't know. You decide. And we learned that Ray Tomlinson looked at his keyboard and decided that the at symbol was the furthest thing away from somebody's name. So there you go. This is Doug at... 20minspodcast.com. Feel free to uh, send me an email. 
And uh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah. I did all the research, so you don't have to. Good going, Doug. Stick that in 20 minutes after the show started. Oh, that's it. I'll talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at uh, 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. <laughs>